All right, if you're turning your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 2, I want to have a disclaimer about this volleyball nonsense. Uh, somebody has accused me of cheating and all, and I have not even seen the sign-ups. Uh, I understand I've been on sign to different teams. These people forget I haven't pray, played in 90 years. So uh, the, the Ichabod, remember, the glory has departed. But uh, I just hope I don't break something, tear something, or embarrass myself or my team. All right, Romans chapter 2. Uh, I was helping with the child, um, child ministry, I, child care. Last Tuesday night, it's for the women's meeting and the men's meeting at the same time. We do the child care for, and, and they're getting a little rambunctious. I, you know, it's, it happens. And my grandkids were model citizens, but some of your kids, um, we should talk. <laughs> Now, actually, it was one of the best nights ever. And so Arya, my granddaughter, says, hey, she looks this up online. And if you're vacationing this summer and cruising with kids, you might look this up. A hundred what-would-you-rather questions for kids. So one of them was, would you rather have one eye in the middle of your head or two noses? And so what they had to do was one eye is on one side, two noses on, and they got totally into it. Another one was, would you rather never have to shower again? Remember, these are kids. They like gross stuff. Never have to shower again or never have to clip your toenails again. For some reason, that was a, a big hit for these guys. Would you rather be able to fly or be invisible? Now, you know, right hand, left hand, and then, then it's like they're all either trying to fly or my six-year-old grandson thought he was invisible. I'm going, dude, it's not working for you, but... Uh, would you rather, this one's deep, would you rather be the worst player on a team that always wins today in volleyball, or would you be the best player on the team that always loses? There's a pride factor on that one. Just a couple more. Would you rather be the funniest person alive or the smartest person alive? Well, the funniest, that's a no-brainer. Everybody wants to be funny. Would you rather be married to a kind person or a terrible person? That one's mine. That was not one of the kids' questions. But it's to illustrate, oh, of course I'd rather be, I am married to a kind person, usually. Uh, sometimes I rub her wrong way. Well, of course I'd rather be attracted to a kind person. How about a kind God? As opposed to a terrible God. See, God loves to be kind. That's what the, we're, we're going to deal with one of my favorite scriptures of all times, Romans 2.4. It explains a lot about our response to God and His goodness. He loves to bless people, but He's often misunderstood. Or, or He's taken for granted. Or how about this one? He, when He's silent, people think, oh, He's approving my sin. I used to share with this around the corner from our place in Florida, we had a uh, a 7-Eleven. And I knew the guy. I knew what sin he was hung up on. And I'd always share with him. and always share. And he'd always go, you don't know. You don't know. And I do know. And God's ready to forgive you. So one night, another guy from college hears me doing this. And he comes up to me and goes, yeah, you know what? I used to be into that. Okay. And I left. I just walked away. I walked away from Jesus. And you know what? No lightning bolts. Nothing struck me down. So what he's saying is God's silence is his approval of this guy's sin. So here's the dilemma. 
How do you tell people about God's love and kindness without confusing them as if they think in his family there's no rules, there's no how to live and, and what to avoid? So here's our outline. We're going to deal with the three H's in, in the first half of uh, chapter, chapter 2. First is the hypocrites. No one here. Hardened hearts. No one here, right? And, and then it's the hearers only. They hear the word of God. They just don't do anything about it. So I think if we add this one word, it would accentuate, it would help us understand what we're talking about. So if we say uh, uh, a hypocritical lover, whoa, that changes everything. Well, you're claiming to love me, but there's hypocrisy involved? I'm not interested in that. How about uh, a lover with a hardened heart? I'm not interested in that. Or a, a lover who just hears everything I'm saying but never does anything about it. And then we'll end in verse 4 with God's goodness. So we're reading. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. Just four verses to begin with. Romans chapter 2. Therefore you are inexcusable. Pretty strong language. You are without excuse, O oh man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things, verse 3. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you not... Do, do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering, not knowing, and here's the, the key phrase, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Okay, so we start with therefore, his first word. Uh, what we have to understand, uh, there's a review thus far. In chapter 1, he's going, look, Paul the Apostle's writing to the group in Rome. One guy thought it was all the Roman emperors, and no, 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 it's the Roman Christians. Paul had never been there yet, but it's on his spiritual bucket list. He really wants to go there. He said, I want to go there to impart my spiritual gift, but also to receive from your spiritual gifts. We'll have this mutual blessing to each other. Now I know in Rome, again, this is review, uh, you, you guys are into military might. You want your military to crush the opponent, and, and you think a guy on a cross is weak. A guy who's been condemned to death and whipped in the crown of thorns. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God to salvation. You think it appears weak. No, this is what it took to forgive my sins and, and your sins. Then he goes into Romans 1.18, where Pastor Danny was sharing, that we suppress the truth. We know it. We know what God expects. We know his that he's got a standard, but we, we uh, suppress it in unrighteousness. Meaning, I just want to continue my sin. I know what you're saying. I know what you're, I'm just going to sin anyway. We suppress it, but then we exchange the truth for a lie, which is so silly. God gives us over to what we want. So three times at the end of chapter 1, we read, God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. It's interesting. Psalm 106 says this, and he and God gave them their request but sent leanness into their soul, meaning 
You guys think, oh, if I only had this, ah, I'll be happy. I'll never ask God or anything again. Oh, I just got to have this, a relationship or, or, you know, a home or the right job. Or right if I just have this, and God said, I can give you that. But without me, God speaking, it's empty. So he gave them there. In that case, it was, it, they were sick of manna in the wilderness. They wanted some meat they could chew on. Goes, that's no problem. I'll send quail. And they, they had their requests, but it sent leanness. It didn't, it didn't satisfy like they thought. So we might be offended at the end of chapter 1. We see homosexuals kissing on TV. Now, not back 2,000 years ago, but it happens now. It's even starting to get on Hallmark Christmas movies. The end of the world is near, folks, when Hallmark gives in. So, you know, yeah, I... Karen and I had a, a program on the other night. We record this series on a, some hospital program. Opens up, two men in bed, torsos exposed, under the covers, just making out. And I go, you know what? I don't need to expose myself to this, so I deleted it. I deleted it. I'm not, I don't want to get used to this. So we get so offended at the end of chapter 1 that we see homosexuals, and yet are we equally offended by seeing adultery? Or, or gossip on TV, or, or murder. No, we are conditioned now. We've seen it so many times. It doesn't affect us like it should. Like, someone just died? Or they're gossiping? Do they know how that affects everybody else? And, and so, no, we, we're, we're, um, we've gotten so used to that. So, again, he goes back to chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore, what we need to understand is he's building his case. Years ago, when you entered law school, they would teach you from Romans 1, 2, and 3 how to build your case or your polemic, your argument. And they would say, oh, in Romans chapter 1, it's those guys over there. They're, they're sinners. They're disgusting. And you could hear the Jews go, yeah, I'll say they're disgusting. But in Romans chapter 2, which we do today, or we start it, it's, well, we Jews, we're, we're sinners too, and we're disgusting. And so by chapter 3, he goes, you know what? We're all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's disgusting, but he's building his case. So chapter 1 was, you know, those guys are disgusting, aren't they? Yes, yes, yes. Do you know we are too? We all need a Savior. So first H is hypocrites. And we're going to call it hypocritical lovers, Right? So he says in verse 1, if, as you condemn, your, you condemn yourself, you who judge practice the same things. And he goes, wait, by passing judgment on someone else's sin. Well, that's disgusting. That's sin. By, by passing judgment on that, I'm, I'm admitting God has a standard. And it can be broken. But he's saying, uh, I, I'm not, maybe not, I'm not a homosexual because he says you're doing the same things. It's a bigger picture than that. Okay, I didn't do that exact sin, but the homosexuals, they've broken God's standard, and we have too. That's what he's saying. Oh, that sin is disgusting. Yeah, well, you've done plenty too, all right? So, the, the hypocritical lovers, this was the sin, hypocrisy. This is the one that just ticked off Jesus the most. Matter of fact, if you go into Matthew chapter 23, Seven times. Now, this is right before the cross. Seven times Jesus goes off on the Pharisees and saying, you hypocrites. He actually said, woe to you hypocrites. When you read woe in the Bible, it's nothing good. 
Nothing good's following that. Woe, you hypocrites, seven times. And he, he sounds them for stuff like the way you treat widows or the way you treat people in need. It's disgusting. You're a hypocrite. The, the way you make people jump through spiritual hoops. He said, you yourselves won't jump through it, but you're making others do that. Oh, if you want to be right with God. So what a hypocrite. He finally said, you know, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs, which means on the outside you're all primped and pretty and shiny, but on the inside you're full of dead man's bones. Whoa. This is the one that ticked him off the most. Do you think when the Pharisees heard this, they go, oh, Jesus, you're judging me. It's so popular today. That's the comeback. Oh, you're yep, that's exactly what he's doing. He is the king. He's coming back to judge the whole world. So, yeah, he's passing. He's calling, telling it like it is. You guys, we're hypocrites. Now, before I lose you, in 1 Corinthians 6, it's talking about all kinds of sexual sins. And more than that, all kinds of sins. And it says, such were some of you. But you've been washed. You might not have been in this category, but you are in a category. We all are. And as Christians, such were, past tense, but we're, we've been washed. So the question is, how am I or when am I most hypocritical? Here's your application. When I'm blind to my own sin. I'm judging others for their sin. That is so disgusting. And I'm blinded to my own sin. God says, no, that's hypocritical. Okay, so from there he goes into the second H, that of the hardness of heart. So we pick it up in verse 5. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, that means you just refuse to repent. You're treasuring up for yourself. I want you to picture this. You're treasuring up wrath. Why would anybody treasure up wrath? You're treasuring up wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory honor, immortality, but to those who, who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but they obey uh, unrighteousness, indignation, they'll get indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's no partiality with God. So what we're doing is, before we get to the goodness of God, that would be like the diamond, the glistening diamond. When you go to buy a diamond ring, you, the, the jeweler takes out like a black velvet material or dark navy blue. So with the, that bleak back or black background, puts on the diamond and all oh, the contrast. So we're still into the bleak black background here, and in the contrast is the goodness of God. So here it's now, it's hardened hearts, or we call it hard-hearted lovers. It's kind of an oxymoron. So Jesus said in the end times, and this is in Matthew 24, he said, because sin will abound, the love of many will grow cold. We're witnessing that today. Because sin just seems to be everywhere, and people are so into their thing, 
Christians, believers are going, you know what? I'm just going to take care of self. I'm growing cold. I'm tired of hearing that guy confess. I'm tired of what that girl's doing. I'm just going to be self-sufficient and wait for the rapture. Wait for the Lord to come back. That's exactly what Jesus said would happen. Now, it's a scary condition. Here's another way the word is used. In the book of Mark, chapter 6, that might strike a, oh, wait, what happened in Mark 6? Jesus fed the 5,000 men, let alone the women and children. So a, a huge crowd. 5,000, hey, how much, what do you got? Oh, we have bread, we have fish. Okay, let's break it up and meet the needs of people. And by doing this, he does this great thing. He received what they gave. He blessed it. He broke it up, and he distributes it, right? And that's what he does with our lives as Christians. He receives us. He blesses us, but then comes the breaking so he can use us to minister to many. So he feeds 5,000 men plus the women and children. They're going in the boat. They're crossing the sea, right? The storm comes up. And he goes, hey, boom, and calms the storm. It says that the disciples, the apostles in the boat are going, what? What did he just do? And it says they, they, the, the hearts of the disciples were hardened, or your translation might say dull. And in this case, it's they just didn't catch on who Jesus was, what he's capable of doing, and how he can solve everything. As long as Jesus is in your boat, you're okay. But they, they just they, he just fed the 5,000. He just calms the storm. They're going, gee, I wonder how he did that. Because they're dull. Their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand. If I apply Jesus to my relationship here, if I apply Jesus to my job situation, if I apply Jesus here, He's going to do a miracle. But they were hardened. Their hearts became dull. Here's another part that's downright scary. In John chapter 12, it talks about the Pharisees. They did not believe. So no matter what Jesus did, I don't believe. I don't want to submit to this guy. I don't want to surrender. I want to live my own. I don't think this king of kings is going to be my king. So it says they didn't believe no matter what he did. The second step was they could not believe. Well, that's dangerous. They've rejected truth so many times that it becomes automatic that they've lost the capacity to believe in Jesus Christ. But then the third part happens, God hardened their hearts. Do you blame him? No matter what I did in your life, you refused to believe. You did it to the point you couldn't believe and I honored your decision, God speaking. How, what a, that's, a, that's a scary thing. So he says, look, guys, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath. How do you picture wrath? I, I often talk about lava. When I see lava, when I, I think it's 2,000 degrees, it's hot. It's going to fry you. And, and I just imagine that volcano right before it goes off, it's just starting to shake and just build up and boom, then it goes off. Well, well, in this case, what if the, the wrath is like lava being dammed up, like the Hoover Dam outside of Vegas? This huge dam, and, and in fact, it's not just water, it's lava, it's wrath. I understand people storing up things you say about their kids. Remember Mary 
When Jesus was born, they're tall, oh, this guy, this guy. And it says she treasured up these things in her heart. I, I can understand people treasuring up Christmas presents. I can't wait to bless you with this. I don't get it when people treasure up wrath because they won't believe. Because they, they don't see their heart has become hardened or, or dull. So if it's like lava being dammed up, who's holding it back? What's holding back this dam from just busting open? It's God's goodness. It's the mercy of God wanting people to come to him. And then he says in this verse, verse 11, there's no partiality with God. You try and tell that to a Jew? Don't talk to me like that. Because they're going, you understand our background, right? You understand Abraham, father of faith. You understand we're a chosen nation. You understand God's chose us and his hand's been upon us for centuries. And cent Do you understand God's not done with our program? And, and we're going to, I understand all that. And, and so for them, they go, but I'm 100% Jewish. And I was born in Israel. So there's God, there's Paul's saying, there's no favoritism here. There's no partiality. There is for me because I'm 100% Jew speaking. Well, you know what? That's a great heritage, but that's not going to get you into heaven. For them to go, I'm 100% Jewish, I'm born in Israel, all that tells me is your mom and dad were Jewish, and your mom was located in Israel when she delivered you. Technically, you had nothing to do with it. Nothing. And you think that's going to get you into heaven. It's not going to get you into heaven. There's no partiality with God. You come to Him out of grace, with repentance, with faith. Now, I grew up Catholic. And I, I remember one day some Baptists came to my front door. And I opened the door and they're, hey, we're here, we're Baptists. I go, what? I just, I just said, we're Catholic. And they closed the door. And I literally walked away going, don't they know there's no Baptists in heaven? I'm a, I thought because I was born Catholic, I'm in. I'm in. Now, I couldn't figure out why they're Baptists. My wife was raised Baptist. Dad was the choir director for 25 years. First into church, last to leave. She literally grew up thinking, why are there Catholics in this world? Don't they know the Baptists are going to heaven? So God's having fun. He goes, oh, let's have Mike and Mary, Mary, Mike and Karen get married and have fun with it. So we realize now God has no partiality. You, there, you get there by faith. Okay, so by way of application here, how or when am I most hard-hearted? When is it that God would point to my heart and say, Mike, your heart's become dull. And the answer is when I'm convinced that I'm different. Okay? I'm different. There's partiality with God. And he favors me. No, he doesn't. You approach him the same. Did you ever hear about Moses? Moses, you blew it. You're not going into the promised land. Did you ever hear about David? David, you blew it. You're not going to build the temple. And then there's no partiality. He actually used them as examples to the rest of the people. Nope, no partiality. So here's another time I get dull when I fail to catch on what God's doing in my life. Remember back in Mark, 
He just did the 5,000. He just calmed the storm, and they're just not catching on. Gee, how powerful is this Jesus? And so when I'm going through a present tense situation and failing to recognize what God can do in this situation, failing to recognize, if I just give it over to Him and trust Him, He can work this out, I become dull, just like they did in Mark chapter 6. So we, we come to the final H, beginning in verse 13, or I'm sorry, verse 12. For as many have sinned without the law, will also perish without the law. As many have sinned in the law, will be judged by the law. For no, verse 13, not the hearers of the law, law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles, who don't have the law, by nature do things in the law, these, although not having a law, are a law to themselves, meaning they're following their conscience. They show, uh, they, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts uh, um, accusing or excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So, hearers only. They, they go to church, they value the Bible. It's the Word of God. That's where the Jews are. Hey, this is, we have the oracles of God. You might want to obey them, you know, just instead of claiming you have them. So this is the lovers who will sit for hours with you trying to work something out, and they'll even agree with you, but then they don't do anything about it. You know, it's not the hearers of the law. It's the doers who go, oh, I get what you're saying, God. I'm going to comply. Now, back in the day, back in the early 70s, we were at Bill and Denise Stonebreaker's house. And this is how the church started. There was up to 95 people one night we counted in a living room. And uh, people, we had new people all the time. People getting saved all the time. So people showed up without a Bible. And we just go, hey, who needs a Bible? Oh, and wherever there's hand, we just toss the Bible. Well, there was a Jewish gal there. And she was horrified that we would treat the Bible so lightly that you need to hand the, that's the Word of God. Okay, my bad. So she keeps fellowshipping with us, Jewish gal, believes the Bible's the Word of God. And now on Easter, I think it was Easter, we're baptizing a, a bunch of people, a bunch. And it was, she comes up to me to get baptized. This is the Jewish girl with the Bible, the whole and she goes, um, I want to get baptized, but I'm living in sexual sin with my boyfriend, and I have no intention of moving out. <laughs> Wait. The big emphasis on the Bible is all Word of God, and you don't even obey it? So I, I told her, uh, I can't baptize you. You're just going to go down a dry center and come up a wet center because there's no repentance you need to do what the Bible says. So she did that walk of shame that comes up to get baptized and just walks away. And everybody, well, what was that all about? It's someone who's hearing the Word of God. They just weren't doing it. So here he, he summarizes this with the value of obeying your conscience. Their conscience also bearing witness that God is speaking. What a gift the conscience is. Now, 
are some people a little hyper on it? Yeah. Are others a little dull on it? Yes. But it's the idea of God gave us this conscience to, to kind of warn us, hey, you're drifting. You need to come back in. Or, or that temptation, that's not good for you. And so the thing is, we've all violated our conscience, every one of us. Now, what he is not saying, when he says this, hey, uh, obviously he's talking about those people groups in the world to this day who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe you've been sharing with someone and they love to bring up this argument, yeah, what about the pygmies in Africa? Hey, I think that's a great concern. Maybe you're going to get saved and become a missionary and go reach the pygmies in Africa. But the idea is, mocking aside, is I can't reach them right now, but God's trying to reach you. And if that's your concern, Romans chapter 2 talks about those who they haven't heard the gospel, but as far as they know, they're, they're obeying their God-given conscience. See, the truth is, God's the judge. If you were the judge, I'd be really concerned. If I was the judge, it's freaking out time. But with God, He knows all the ingredients. He understands hearts and motives and why we do what we do. He gets it. He's a fair and just judge. And so he said, what he's not saying, he, he said, yes, they can get saved. I mean, God's fair. They've never even heard of this. They're in some remote land. But what he's not saying is, you don't need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just forget it. You can just work your way into heaven. He's not saying that at all. He's saying in this special case that God knows those who are his, right? It's uh, 2 Timothy, I think it's 2.19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of the Lord stands, having the seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Number two, those who name the name of Jesus Christ depart from sin, depart from iniquity. So, oh, there it is on the, on the screen. God knows those who are his. I don't. I don't. Now, how or when am I most a hearer only? Uh, when I sin against my own conscience, uh, we tend to do that. When, when God's word has spoken and, and I just know this is wrong and I, I don't care, I'm going to do it anyway, uh, that's when I'm a hearer only. Or how about this one? I know what the Bible says. I know this is wrong. I even heard about it in church today. And still I'm going to do it. That's when I am most guilty of being a hearer of the word only. Okay, with that bleak black background, we end with this verse. Again, verse 4. Do not, or do despise. No, it's in the negative. So he's addressing the three H's. You, the hypocrites, the hardened hearts, the hearers only. Do you understand about the, the goodness of God? Do you despise the riches of his goodness? of his forbearance, his long-suffering, not knowing the goodness of God leads you to repentance, one of the best verses in the entire Bible. Now, what if there was no goodness of God? What if there's no gospel? What if all we had was the three H's and the world was just full of, you know, the hypocrites, the hard hearts, and the hearers only, and there's no hope? 
uh, what if we just had those three H's? How about this? Has God ever looked at the three H's of this world and said, enough, I'm over it. I'm going to start all over. You ever hear of a guy named Noah? That's exactly what happened. God looked on the world. He was grieved with his creation. And he started all over. Then with Moses, he wanted to. Moses, get out of the way. I'm just going to cream that whole nation. We'll start all over with you. And Moses, no, no, no. You can't do that, Lord. He almost did. But yes, God can get to that point where just, okay, it's over. They've crossed the line in the sand. I love what it says in Psalm 135. Whatever the Lord does, he pleases. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. I'm sorry. I was reading this this morning in, in, uh, in my devotions. Whatever the Lord does, he pleases. Now, that, that's a terrifying thought if God was a terrorist. A terrorist would, you know, okay, I'm ruling. Uh, we're going to kill this guy. We're going to rape this girl. We're going to take away all their goods. And just, I'm a terrorist. I'm in control. God's not like that. He could be, would you rather be married to a kind person or a, a terrible person? Oh, the kind. God has, he's love. It says in 1 John chapter 4, twice, verse 8 and verse 16, God is love. You want the main ingredient of God? He's love. And so he's chosen not to be a terrorist, which would go completely against his nature. He's chosen to reveal his nature is love. He's kind, and he loves to bless people in his kindness. So when you read a verse like this, whatever the Lord does, he, whatever the Lord pleases, he does, you realize, oh, yeah, but he's a kind God. He's just. He's forgiving. He, he loves to bless. So there is good news. I want to tell you this story to illustrate it. And um, just real quick, in Judges chapter 6, or chapter 10, the Jewish nation, now Judges was just this seven cycles of sin and rebellion and blah, 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 just Savior. And so in one of those cycles, Judges 10, it says the Jewish nation was given over to idolatry. It's easy to do. Isn't it the last verse of 1 John? Watch out for idols, because it's so tempting. An idol is putting something in, on the throne of my heart where only Jesus should be. That's my idol. So, so they're given over to idolatry. Man, they were just all the surrounding nations. They're in, oh, Chemish, I'm going for that God. And this, the Baal, I'm going for that God. And, and so it says, the anger of the Lord was hot. He was bombed. He was ticked against Israel. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the Ammonites and all that for 18 years. 18 years. Some of you aren't even 18 years old. Others wish you were 18 years old. But 18 years. Remember in the New Testament, that woman who was bent over double, and she walks in the temple, and Jesus walked up and healed her, and they're all ticked off at Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. And he's going, get real, people. For 18 years, Satan had this woman bound in her, in her condition. And should we have to wait till Sunday or Monday to heal her? Come on, get real. 18 years, he's emphasizing. Do you get how long that is? So for 18 years, these people in the Old Testament were given over to slavery unto the, the, their uh, enemies. 
But there is good news. It says they cried out to God. And if I were God, I'd go, I don't know, you deserve it, right? I gave you everything. I blessed you. I, I, I gave you this land. I just, come on, I, I outdid myself in human terms. And look what you did with it. It said they cried out to him. And I love this verse in Judges 10, 16. It says, his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. It was just like, okay, it's too much. I know what they've done. I know they deserve more judgment. I know they deserve the slavery. I know it's miserable, but I can't handle it anymore. I just love this. His soul, God's soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. So in his goodness, remember the goodness of God leads you to repentance? In his goodness, he sent a Savior. And in his goodness, he sent us a Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I love this quote by Pastor Charles Spurgeon. It's over 100 years old. I'm going to quote it. This is on the goodness of God. It seems to me that every morning when a man wakes up still impenitent, that means he's, he refuses to repent, and he finds himself out of health, and the sunlight seems to say, oh, I shine on thee, this is a long time ago, right? I shine on thee yet another day, as that in this day thou mayest repent. He goes on to say this. When your bed receives you at night, I think it seems to say, I'll give you another night's rest, that you may live to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. Spurgeon continues, every mouthful of bread that comes to the table says, I have to support your body, that, you, that still you may have space for repentance. goes on, every time you open the Bible, the pages say, we speak with you that you may repent. Every time you hear a sermon, if it be such a sermon as God would have us preach, it pleads with you to turn to the Lord and live. And this is where my personal testimony comes in. Uh, without boring you with details and stuff, um, I was a knucklehead. I think most everybody here can relate. A knucklehead that wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. When I had gotten out of jail, thankfully my friends bailed me out and eventually graduated junior college in Daytona. I just head over here to, to surf pipeline. Just uh, wanted absolutely nothing to do with God. And along the way, uh, there were close encounters with death and really stupid things and consequences. It did not matter. I just hardened my heart. I was not interested in what God wanted for me. I was like those first, I'm not bowing down to him. I'm not going to submit to him. Until after a month here of surfing the best waves in the world, I was still empty. I mean, God gave me my heart's desire, but it sent leanness into my soul. And it wasn't anything, there wasn't any lightning bolt experiences, no heavy revelations. It was just, God, you're so good. What am I doing running from you? And so the reason this verse is so powerful to me, this is the one that got me back to him. When I realized his goodness 
leads you to repentance, when you realize God is so good, why would I try and outrun him? God is such a blessing. Why would I try and live without him? And it was his goodness, not close encounters with death, not consequences, just goodness of God brought me back to him. We should look at God's goodness and understand a few things. <laughs> He's been better to me than I deserve. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Two or three. Okay. How about this? God has been kind to me when I've ignored him. He's been kind to me when I've mocked him. Uh, I wonder if you guys here knew all my sins, would you forgive me? I'm not, uh, we don't have time to go into that. But it's just like, whoa. If I knew all your sins, would I forgive you? But the clincher is God wants to. He, he's willing. He, he wants to forgive. And it says he will lead you to repentance. He doesn't force you. He doesn't beat you. He, he leads you. Now, it's, it's interesting. In, in Jeremiah, he said this. The Lord has appeared to me of old, saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you. Not with pain, not with just I'm loving you enough. Oh, I can't live. I, heaven won't be the same without you. And so, with cords of loving kindness, he draws us unto him to repentance. Now, I, oh, I just love this saying. Repentance is the process of tearing down the, all the scaffolding built to climb up to our sin. Meaning, it's one thing to say, God, I am so sorry for my sin. But the scaffolding is still in place. I can still scale that stuff and jump into the sin. True repentance is, oh, I am sorry. And you know what? I'm going to tear down the scaffolding. I'm going to remove the temptation as much as I can so I can't climb back up into that thing. Repentance is the process of tearing down the scaffolding built to climb up into sin. Hypocrites, hardened hearts, here is only. We're, we're ending here. Is it possible to wear out the patience of God? I was praying this morning thinking, I wonder if anybody shows up thinking, I've crossed the line. I've blown it to the point, God says, just go, just get out of here. And I'm, I'm thinking of this, the, the goodness of God. You're here, aren't you? So instead of thinking, man, I think I went too far, you're still here. That, to me, that means the Holy Spirit's still working on you. And, and that he wants to draw you in with those cords of loving kindness to where, come on in. Get past the, the, the guilt. Get past the condemnation. Be forgiven, genuinely forgiven, clean and everything to where he sees you as all new. He sees you as his bride, holy, pure, clean, white as snow, just completely forgiven. And it's his goodness that brings you to that point. Now, you may be here as a Christian, and, and you may go, you know what? I, I haven't been a hypocrite. And, and my heart's not hard. And I'm trying not to be a hearer of the word. I, I really want to do it. Hey, press on. 
press on. Praise the Lord. We still need the grace of God. I'm wondering if someone's here this morning and you're going, I've been trying to outrun God and I'm not doing too good. I, I want to surrender this morning and I'll let you know it's the grace of God that brought you here. And with this lasso of loving kindness, he's pulled you in and said, it's time to surrender. It's time to receive his forgiveness and then to pass it on to others. I'd like to close in prayer uh, and then we'll have some worship. Father, where would we be without the gospel? We'd be given over to hypocrisy and hardness and thinking we got it made. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ. Thank you for valuing your creation enough that you sent your best to buy us back. Lord, I pray for folks here right now who had their doubts hearing this sermon, had their doubts wondering if, um, if this is for them. And I pray in Jesus' name you would win them over. That whether it's done right this second, on the way home, in bed at night, there would be such a genuine, fresh surrender and acceptance of your forgiveness an acceptance of your strength, your resources from heaven, so that we can live a life that pleases you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.